Welcome to the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. I am Paul Chapman. I am joined from Jacksonville Airport by national hockey writer Mike Trakos. Mike, how was Georgia and how was Florida? Yeah, um, Florida was brief. Uh, basically, flew into Jacksonville, um, but I was in uh, Sea Island, Georgia, for the majority of the, the few days I was here uh, for the Board of Governors meeting. First time they've had it here, and it's funny. Um, well, not funny, but the coincidence here uh, with George uh, George H. W. Bush uh, passing away. Um, this was a place in Sea Island that he actually spent his honeymoon. So there's a rich history with uh, the Bushes coming to Sea Island to the Cloister, uh, very uh, well-to-do um, resort. But uh, obviously, the, the topic of uh, the NHL this week was expansion, and they are going to Seattle for a 30-second franchise, which wasn't exactly a surprise. So, yeah, I just let people know we're going to talk about expansion, Seattle as a market, potential of the markets or the strategy down the road. Then in our second period, we're going to get into Austin Matthews and the Leafs and maybe look at some of the top teams around the NHL. In our final period, we'll talk about are the trade winds starting to blow a little harder, seeing some movement, teams knowing where they are in the standings and, and what their strategy is, and maybe some World Junior talk and whatever else we can fit in. So uh, that's what we have on tap. Again, thanks to Mike for joining us from the airport. Uh, so let's let's jump right in with Seattle. Obviously, I'm here in Vancouver. We know a lot about that market. People have suggested it would be a good rival for the Canucks, but I think more than that, um, I love the angle that you took in your story that you've written that's online and, and uh, in post-media papers today in that it's almost like when you're looking for expansion, the NHL has to go out and recruit the owners, and that seems what they've done here, is not? Yeah, they, strong ownership is one of the three pillars that Gary Bettman constantly talks about, and the other two is having a, an arena and obviously having a market that uh, can sustain hockey. But the ownership thing is huge. And, Paul, I, I spent a few days in Seattle last week trying to figure out why this city is so fertile and why it makes sense for hockey. And it doesn't take you uh, long to realize the influence that Amazon has here and that tech really plays in uh, the marketplace. And there's a lot of money, uh, there's a lot of young money, and there's a lot of people looking to spend that money. And with no NBA franchise, they're hungry for uh, winter sport, and hockey's definitely going to fill that need. That, that's a great point. My concern about Seattle, though, is I, I think that this, while they want hockey, um, and I, you know, I remember there's, I've been in touch with a lot, of, a lot of Seattle media people going back 20 years saying the NHL would absolutely kill it here. But it seems to me like hockey was a precursor for the arena to get the NBA back. That is, Seattle is an NBA city. Rich history. They want the NBA back in the worst way. They got a super mm-hmm. successful MLS team, maybe the most successful one in the whole league uh, from a business standpoint. They're a massive university town. The Huskies are huge and relevant there in football and basketball. If the Mariners ever get good, maybe they'll be irrelevant again. And they're a great Seahawks market. It's not the biggest U.S. market. Corporate support is so important. Do they do they have the legs? Do you think if their team is not competitive to be there in the long run with all, with so many uh, other franchises competing for the corporate dollar? Yeah, there's two ways to think about it, Paul. Like obviously, if you're the only pro franchise in a market, you've got the entire market to yourself, a la what Vegas has in in that market until the NFL um, goes over there. So uh, the other way to look at it is. This is a this is a market that is just used to paying money uh, to support their uh, sports teams. And you look at the Seahawks' uh, ticket value, and I, I think their top three, if not uh, 
tops in the league in terms of what they charge uh, for a ticket. So they're used to spending that money. Um, we'll see what the NHL ticket comes in at. Obviously, it's going to be a lot more than uh, junior hockey fans are used to spending either on Thunderbird or Silver Tip games. But I'm a firm believer that with no NBA franchise, like I said, this is a market that's hungry for something to do in the wintertime. And hockey is that perfect need. And we'll see if the NBA goes there. You know what? It doesn't look like David Stern, or sorry, um, uh, Silver has any uh, appetite for expanding the NBA. So if the NBA is going to go back to Seattle, it looks like relocation is going to be um, the way that they get there. And so far, I haven't heard of any talk of whether Charlotte or another franchise is prime for uh, relocation. So, yeah, the NHL has really got that market to itself. Um, like I said, the only competition is probably the WNBA or um, – professional soccer and i don't think that's much of a competition when you're looking at what the nhl product can look like okay so that's a great point the nba is kind of shy on expansion and um the nhl now you talk about 650 million dollars this is the second one vegas been wildly successful Uh, i i would not I would not put it past NHL owners, Mike, to think this is a great little pyramid scheme they have going, and it's a very good, very lucrative revenue stream for them. And there is demand from other cities. Uh, what do you? What's the league strategy on future expansion? Because people are starting to say, okay, great, Seattle's an awesome market, but are we starting to begin the conversation of watered-down franchises again? Not enough talent out there, and does that impact if they're going to look to expand in the next five to ten years beyond this? Yeah, it's a really good point. And when is enough enough? Uh, Gary Bettman didn't say that they're capped out on 32 teams, but it looks like um, they're not going to be accepting any new franchise applications, whether it's coming from Quebec City, Houston, or Portland. Um, and really, I think those three cities, keep an eye on them, because if there is relocation, and I think that's the only way that we see uh, new markets emerge, it's going to come through relocation. And we know what's going on in Arizona. That's a troubled franchise. And with the Coyotes now going into the Central Division to make room for Seattle, everyone's sort of hinting at the idea that this is a precursor to them physically moving from Arizona to Houston, which looks like they're off of the list right now for uh, potential relocation. So we'll see. Like, there's trouble franchises. Obviously, Ottawa, with what's going uh, on there with LeBreton Flat, that's an issue. Um, I don't think the Senators are moving anytime soon, having said that. Um, I think the Florida Panthers have a lot of issues with what's going on there. Even the Carolina Hurricanes with a new owner in Tom Dundon, who is Houston-based. Um, I think that that's another franchise to kind of keep an eye on. So um, I, I think the NHL's really got to keep their own house in order before they further expand because there's three or four franchises where you watch a hockey game on a nightly basis, and you can basically count the number of fans and seats. Um, that's how few there are. So, um yeah, there is an argument to be made is well, why are they expanding when there's a lot of troubled franchises out there that could very well just move cities and be in a better spot. Houston obviously would be desirable because of the size of the city, because I think uh, there is the push more for the American regional TV networks to, 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 to kick in and have a little more there. But romantically... Seeing what's happened in, in Winnipeg, I would love to see Quebec City back. Is that really a pipe dream? Are they a real long shot when you, you mentioned, I think Portland as well, but Seattle kind of takes care of that Cascadia corridor. Then maybe that's a little further down the road. How, how do you, you uh, kind of seed these cities for, for potentially getting an NHL team in the next decade? 
Well, I'll just focus on Quebec City, and I, I'm with you. I, I think that's a no-brainer. The NHL should be um, in Quebec City. Um, like you said, the Winnipeg Jets is a great example of, you know, that's a fan base uh, that welcomed their team back, and now you look at how successful the Jets have been on and off the ice, and you're saying to yourself, that could easily happen in Quebec City where they've got a gorgeous new arena um, that's really not full um, to its capacity, and um, bringing the Nordiques back, creating that rivalry again with the Canadians, I think that would just be such a, like I said, such a slam dunk for the NHL. At the same time, I'm not hearing that the NHL has any desire to go to Quebec City, um, which is really unfortunate. Like you said, Gary Bettman seems to have his priorities in the sense that Canada and the Canadian markets are still taking a backseat to U.S. expansion. And um, he keeps using the words geographical footprint. And I really do believe that uh, this is a guy that really wants to be everywhere in the U.S. and to be able to uh, retire knowing that he moved the NHL into markets that weren't hockey markets to begin with and um, that are turning into hockey markets. And that that's his MO, and I don't think that's ever going to change. And there were some Quebec reporters at these border governor meetings and talking to them, and there seems to be a real fatigue factor with uh, the sense that they just don't believe that Quebec City is in any position in the inevitable future to get a franchise back again. And to hear that, it is sad because, like we keep mentioning, it's a market that you know, can definitely support hockey, has supported in the past, and to me is just a no-brainer. I got to say, when we had that Saturday night game a couple of weeks ago between the uh, flames and the Oilers that broke out with the real feistiness and everyone said, oh, the Battle of Alberta is back, it just brought back that era when you had the Flames and Oilers in the playoffs and the Canadians and the Nordiques. And that's got, that got me nostalgic for thinking, again, Mon- you know, people try and force this Montreal-Toronto rivalry, and I guess if they played in the playoffs, you would have that back. But if you're younger than the age of 60, I don't think the Leafs-Habs games really mean a lot to you, do they? I mean, that's why we want the Nordiques back. I think it matters in the sense that it's just two monster markets. Uh, that just love their hockey, and hockey is first, second, and third on the sporting landscape. But I'm with you. Um, as a kid, I don't remember growing up thinking anything of the Toronto-Montreal rivalry. I think the Toronto-Ottawa rivalry is um, more permanent in fans' minds. Even the Toronto-Buffalo rivalry, I think, makes a lot more sense uh, than the Canadian tab. That being said, you know, when you got two big franchises like that, and it's such a rich history with both being original six franchises, and you got the English francophone kind of playing off each other, it really is uh, tailor made. But um, I would love to see a Quebec Montreal rivalry. <laughs> I think that would make so much sense. And, you know, that, that almost kind of predates me. I don't remember uh, quite uh, like you the, um, the fierce games, but. You know, it, it just makes so much sense where you could just get on a, uh, a a train or just drive in your car and go from one room to the other. I think you just called me old. Um, but with yeah, that... And, and, and not so many words. Yes, I did. <laughs> so we'll leave the first period there. When we come back in the second period, we'll talk about the other news from the meetings. Then we'll get into some Leafs talk. So stick with us. We'll be right back. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10-3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. 
That's 10-3, Canada's news covered. Welcome back to the Off the Post Postmedia Hockey Podcast. Uh, I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Mike Trakos from the lovely Jacksonville Airport, fresh from the Board of Governors meetings. Mike, we, we already talked about expansion. Um, what other tidbits, news, noteworthy things did you pick up from at these Board of Governors meetings? You mentioned what an affluent, lovely resort it was. Perfect setting for the NHL Board of Governors there with their caviar, champagne, and, and shrimp flowing, I'm sure. Yeah, and it was a perfect opportunity for the NHL to announce salary cap is projected to rise again and as much as three and a half million dollars which should make a lot of teams uh whether you're toronto or winnipeg uh, or tampa bay who are looking at re-signing a lot of their rfas very very happy um three and a half million is not chump change um if you're toronto that's basically what you're expecting to pay casper capita next year and with matthews and marner coming uh off their entry-level contracts uh, that, that's a real concern so Really good news, I think, uh, for a lot of franchises in the sense that the salary cap is expected to rise and probably a good sign for the NHL as a whole. So overall, I would imagine, I mean, you know, you talk about the setting and obviously you're going to want to have a warm weather setting, maybe create a bit of a splash, but things look like, I mean, we talked about attendance, but it doesn't seem to matter for the NHL. Uh, It seems like it's all wine and roses. Everyone's pretty happy at these things. Yeah, you know what? Seattle was... uh, dominant topic obviously and i don't think you get seattle if there's major concern that the nhl can't support a, a 32nd team or that attendance league-wide is um really struggling and you know at every sport whether it's mlb uh football or uh basketball is going to have two or three trouble franchises where uh, attendance just isn't working and you know partly is tends to be uh, the franchises that are also struggling on uh, on the ice or on the court, have you? Um, and it's you know I think that's that's still a concern with the NHL. Uh, there was a lot of talk this week about the Ottawa Senators and Eugene Melnick's seven million or sorry seventy million lawsuit against his partner in the LeBreton flat uh, flat uh, failed bid. Um, I think a lot of people are wondering what the Senators' future is going to be in Canada um, if there's a chance that the team can move downtown. From Gary Bettman's words, our mouth, uh, the words that he used was disappointed. Um, I think he was really hoping that uh, Ottawa would kind of get back on track, uh, especially after the disastrous last two years that they've had. And I think one of the ways that it can get back on track is moving from the suburbs of Ottawa to the downtown core. And if that's no longer a possibility, you got to wonder what the next step is going to be for Eugene Melnick and company. Um, you did talk about salary cap rising and what that might mean to a team like the Leafs who are in that period where they want to, you know, they've got a bunch of young players that are going to be looking at how they can fit them all in. Certainly saw the protracted, uh, uh, situation with Nylander, which finally got resolved and you go, why couldn't that have happened uh, two months ago? But if I look at the Leafs now, and obviously that we're recording this on Wednesday morning, spectacular goal from Austin Matthews on Tuesday night, right at the death of, uh, of overtime to win it, um, this team's really ticking along. The last 10 games, t- matching Tampa, by the way, both of them at the top of the, of the Eastern Conference standings, 8-2, and two, hottest record in the last 10 games in the NHL. Um, they've dealt with Matthews' injury problems, but to me, the Leafs are now looking to really hit their stride. You obviously follow them closely being in Toronto, uh, probably closer than any other team around the league. This team really, Stanley Cup contender, a lot of people called for it at the start of the year, doesn't always play out to the promise. Tell me what you see for the rest of the season from the Leafs. Uh, I don't think they've hit their stride yet, Paul. And, okay. you know, I, and I say that knowing that 
you know, Austin Matthews is only a couple games back from an injury that really sapped him. Um, you wouldn't know it, obviously, but uh, really sapped him like strength-wise and conditioning-wise. And you know, they'd never had William Nylander in the lineup, and it looks like Nylander's eyeing a Saturday start. So it's going to be Saturday uh, in mid-December where we finally see this uh, team ice a full lineup. And that's scary when you consider, like you said, um, this team has been swimming along. Uh, whether Matthews has been in the lineup or not or Nylander in the lineup or not, it's a deadly offensive team. And beyond that, um, those concerns on the defense haven't really cropped up just because of how well uh, Frederick Anderson is playing. And, you know, if you're drawing up a Vezina Trophy candidate list, Anderson's in your top three, if not top five. So uh, that's a good sign for the Leafs. Uh, that being said, they're still young. They're still inexperienced to a degree. They've never uh, made it out of the first round with this group. So um, we'll see what that means, actually, for them going forward. So when you have this, you, you know, you talk about inexperience. They haven't been there before. Uh, collection of young players may be really you said they haven't hit their stride yet, but they assuming they will at some point. Is this now the value of having Babcock as a coach? Yeah, having Babcock as a coach and actually rebuilding the, the right way. Uh, I think when you draft uh, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews in successive uh, years, and you've still got a core that includes Riley and Kadri, um, and you pick up Frederick Anderson, I, I think it's a matter of uh, when, not if, this team was going to come together, uh, regardless of who was coaching it. So, you know, for the Vancouver Canucks, um, that's that's what you're kind of eyeing right now. Um, where the Canucks have, they're, they're, they've got some pieces there that you're really excited about in Peterson, uh, Horvat, and Besser. And now you're looking at a guy like Quinn Hughes and Ole Ulevi saying, okay, as long as those guys can also uh, reach their potential and a guy like Patrick Demko can make it to the NHL or the Canucks go out and find that goalie, um, there's your template. Um, it doesn't take that long once you get the pieces in place for things to turn around and um, you start making your strides. So, you know, I, I think that's the formula in the NHL. You have to draft well, you have to develop well, and you have to give it time. But um, it doesn't take that long. And Buffalo Sabres are probably another example of it where things looked very dire a year ago where the Sabres finished dead last. But now that Eichel's got guys to play uh, with and now that you've got Rasmus Dahlin on the back end and you've got a Carter Hutton in net, um, it doesn't take, like I said, that long to uh, turn things around. Buffalo, absolutely right. Great story with lots of young talent kind of making that next step, obviously getting people excited. And I think, I think generally hockey fans like to see some turnover, see some new teams in there. But I did want to talk to you about Tampa Bay. Um, obviously neck and neck with the Leafs, they were two teams that people had picked at the start of the year to be the beasts of the Eastern Conference. Uh, and they're showing that, they, you know, they're, they're not backing away from anything either. A very aggressive franchise, lots of talent as well. Um, how do you see do, – do you see it as a two-horse race or do you think someone else in the East can come in, like Washington perhaps, defending their title? I think when teams have won a Stanley Cup, they might get a bit blasé through the regular season. But do you see it being a two-horse race in the East or is there anyone else there that catches your eye? The one team that I'm really kind of looking at is Columbus. And we'll see what happens with uh, two of the guys that are going to be coming off the books if they don't resign them, and Artemi uh, Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. But um, you got to think, like, this is a team that oh, Bobrovsky hasn't played much like himself, and this is a two-time Vezina Trophy winner uh, this season. And yet they're neck and neck with the Capitals uh, for first place in the Metropolitan Division. Really impressed with how Pierre-Luc Dubois has come along. They've got a lot of pieces there on the back end that are 
that you have to be excited about, whether it's Seth Jones or Zach Wierenski. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a feeling that guy, uh, the Atlantic division is just going to beat up itself um, in the first two rounds of the playoffs so that once you get to the conference final and you face either Washington or Columbus, uh, the Tampa Bay or Toronto might not have anything in the gas or in the tank uh, to go against those teams. So um, don't be surprised if the Metro, like last season, uh, ends up on top just because of the fatigue factor. Oh, come on, Mike. Come on. Out here on the West, we you're not going to beat yourself up on the East all staying in the same time zone, <laughs> busting the games. That's that's the whining we like to do out here. Now, this is a national podcast, so I'm not going to focus on the Canucks. However, we in Vancouver are going to see Nashville next, who look like the class of, of the West so far. Uh, you know, Winnipeg off to a rough start, playing them their way back into it. But uh, what do you see in the West? I actually think Nashville, you know, a team that got to the final, didn't win then didn't get as far last year. They seem to have learned some lessons. I really like the look of the Nashville Predators, um, like the physical element that they have. What do you see in the West? And, and, and is there a balance to you that the, whether we put any countenance in the regular season, Leafs and Lightning are pulling away a little bit in terms of points. I'm not sure that matters in the end, but do you see the West and East as evenly balanced or is the West clearly the second best? That's a really good question. And you know what? I wouldn't want to face Nashville uh, the way that Pecorino has been playing this year. That being said, uh, if it's Pecorino in the playoffs and yeah. he's had some rough playoff rounds in the last couple of years, whether um, it seems like any time he's away from home, he struggles, um, then maybe you do want to play the Preds. But you know, there's just so many good teams out there, Paul, and there's so many bad teams, obviously, too. Uh, but Nashville, Winnipeg, and Colorado, um, pick any of them. They could go to the Stanley Cup final just based on the firepower that they have up front and the way that their goaltenders have been playing. But I, I don't know if the East is necessarily stronger than the West this year or if, it's, if we're just talking apples and oranges because, uh, like I said, like you pick probably the six best teams in the league and three of them come from the East and Toronto, Boston, or sorry, Toronto, Tampa, and possibly Columbus or Washington. And you can pick uh, another three teams from the West that are equally as good and probably Nashville, uh, Colorado, and Winnipeg. All right, we'll leave the second. Just any, just any team out of the Pacific Division. <laughs> Pacific is just, just a mess right now. It really is, and I think people have looked at, you know, I I, I knew I know people kind of thought the Kings era had passed, but they were wondering they still got some elite talent, whether they could get back in the conversation. I don't think anyone expected them to be as bad as they are. Anaheim as well, just, you know, completely fallen off the map, even though they still have some uh, what you might term as elite talent there. And everyone thought Carlson going to the Sharks would be the one to make him the – the guy to make uh, that leap and put them in the conversation. They've been a little better lately, but yeah, the Pacific is a mess. Even Edmonton. I mean, I don't know. We had Jim Matheson on last week. As long as they have Connor McDavid, they have hope, but I don't know how they've already fired their coach. I don't know how long you wait for Edmonton to click in. Yeah. There's going to be some major changes. I think at the end of the season, if uh, the team misses the playoffs again, it really is sort of a travesty that you got the best player in the NHL and you're, minus 12 goal differential right now and you're sitting behind Arizona like the Coyotes have a better record right now or <laughs> than, than, the, than the Oilers like just think about that for a second you know I don't know the kids makeup people say he would never create waves but if I'm Connor McDavid and you know when people compare him so much to Crosby and you look at what Crosby was doing at the same point in your career and you see no progress after all this time at some point you have to angle for a move wouldn't you think uh, I don't know if that isn't his makeup but you look at what Tavares went through yep. in Long Island, and you know, kind of same situation. Great player, 
couldn't build around him. And eventually he said, enough is enough. Once he becomes a UFA, he said, get me out of here. And not so many words. And he finds the, the team that looks like he's going to build a championship uh, contender. So um, the Oilers don't find those pieces around McDavid. Don't be surprised if he ends up leaving once he becomes a UFA. All right, we'll leave the second period there. We'll be back with the third period where we'll talk about some trades and rumors and movement around the league and also maybe get into a little bit of World Juniors talk. Would you give Brock Besser a long-term contract? Can Elias Pettersson's body stand up to the rigors of a full NHL season? Is Jacob Markstrom really the guy who can take the Canucks to the next level or do they need to seriously look at their prospects and goal? All these questions and many more just like them are answered twice a week in our White Towel podcast. If you want to hear the stories that our writers, Ed Willis, Ben Kuzma, Patrick Johnson, and yes, even Harrison Mooney, garner each week on the Canuck Beat to find out what you need to know to be the most knowledgeable fan in your group, then you should download the White Towel Podcast. Download them, subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, give us a good rating if you like them. But if you want to be one of the Canuck's most knowledgeable fans, you'll want to download these podcasts every week and find out what our experts have to say. Welcome back to the third period of the Off the Post podcast. Mike, uh, joined here by Mike Trakos. Um, let's talk a little bit about movement. I know we saw a minor trade this week, and for what it's worth, uh, you know, between the Leafs and the Canucks, uh, Josh Leva scored a, his first goal last night. Wonderful setup from Elias Pettersson. So you often see a player when they've been traded get a little bit of a, a first game or second game bump um, and have an impact. You know, there's a lot of these prospects sort of in the mix, aren't getting an opportunity. Let's swap and see what happens. But we have seen a few trades here. Are you are you starting to think that there might be a lot of movement? I know we go into the traditional Christmas freeze soon, but I I can't remember a year where maybe you've seen the NHL as stratified as this, where you've got your teams that you can legitimately say are contenders, and you've got teams that are already looking at Jack Hughes. So I wonder if that's going to foster moving some pieces for teams that are going to swing for the fences here. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm kind of with you. Like, I think we've seen some movement. There hasn't been any major trades. Like, we haven't seen that Matt Duchesne or Kyle Turris type trade yet. And I don't know if we are going to see that before the deadline. But you look in the East, and I'll start there. There's a lot of teams that I would have penciled in or even put in the in the playoff spot um, at the beginning of the season that are really underperforming. And I think that they're not really looking at Jack Hughes. I think they're in a position where they're saying there's still enough time to get back into a playoff spot. And I'm talking, I'll start with Pittsburgh because, you know, whenever you have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Phil Kessel up front, that, that's a playoff team every day of the week, basically. So um, that's a team that I'm looking at really making a huge trade. And I wonder if Phil Kessel is a name that's going to get tangled out there. We've already heard it in the past. Aside from that, the Florida Panthers are also primed to make a move, whether it's a coaching change or just a big shakeup uh, change to kind of change their fortunes around. And obviously with Philadelphia getting Chuck Fletcher, um, they're probably at the top of my list in terms of having to make some sort of deal. And you think a goaltender is probably at the top of Chuck Fletcher, Fletcher's wish list. But those are three teams that I would really be watching right now in terms of making a trade well before the deadline. A goalie has been at the top of the Flyers' wish list since Ron Hextall was playing, Mike. Honestly, it's the one piece that seems to have always been missing for for them. Um, uh, you know, you have guys who kind of recognize what they have. You mentioned Columbus or Columbus earlier. They, to me, are fascinating because they are one of those teams that are on that precipice. And do we go for it? 
or do we move these assets now and get something forward and say, no, let's reload a little bit? And you can you can make an argument for going either way. Do you think that Columbus will be all in on either like making the most of what they have uh, or getting rid of a couple of really big prospects? It's a good question. And right now, I think they're, like I said, they're neck and neck with Washington for top spot in the Metro. That tells you that they can't afford to lose either Panarin or Bobrovsky unless there's similar assets coming back. Um well, keep an eye on Bobrovsky. Um, I think the more he struggles, uh, the more likely it's uh, the scenario where he could go back to Philadelphia. And talking Philadelphia, there's a chance that they could be eyeing Cam Talbot in Edmonton now that Miko Koskinen has basically stolen the number one job from Talbot. Um, and if Shirelli's looking to make a, a shake-up type trade, maybe he deals Talbot, who's making uh, I think double the amount of Koskinen's salary, um, and tries to get a piece back, whether it's a defenseman or a winger for Connor McDavid. So there's a lot of interest, I think, in goaltenders right now. I think that's the next piece that's really going to be um, on the trade market. It's funny. Traditionally, um, goalies just – you see the value they bring to a team. They don't seem to bring the value in the trade market. But all you have to do is look at a team like Vegas and how far Marc-Andre Fleury took them last year. And Vegas is an interesting team to me because they got off to such a bad start. Everyone went, oh, okay – Last year, flash in the pan. Now everyone knows what they are. They've started to turn it up lately. We saw, obviously, a testy game last night against uh, Stanley Cup rematch. The Reeves-Wilson hit. Um, but Vegas, to me, are a team that might want to get in on the trade market because they did tinker with their team a little bit in the offseason. But that's a team that they'll obviously want to build on that momentum, and they are playing much better now than they were a month ago. Do you think Vegas is going to be uh, looking significantly at changing their team, or are they going to ride flurry again? Yeah, it, it's a difficult one, Paul, because they had so many injuries and they were missing Nate Schmidt uh, for the first part of the season where now they're finally getting uh, the complete roster back. And I think that's partly why we're seeing the, a better version of the Golden Knights today than we were yesterday. We saw Nate Schmidt score the overtime winner uh, last night, uh, or I guess it was at the end of the third period, but he ended up scoring the winner. And you know, that, that's a guy that they desperately missed on the back end because of all the offense he brings in. You know, if Marc-Andre Fleury plays like the Fleury of last year and his game's starting to turn around, then Vegas should make the playoffs. And we were talking earlier about how bad the Pacific Division is. I think that's prime why a team like Vegas should be able to make it. Like, uh, I'll take them uh, over Anaheim any day right now. Uh, I'll take Vegas ahead of Calgary even to lead the division. And, you know, really the only team that scares me out of the Pacific is San Jose because I don't think we've seen the best of them yet. Um, and... They're a team that I penciled in to be in the Stanley Cup final. So let's change gears now when we finish. This is mostly an NHL podcast, but the World Juniors has become such a massive event uh, around the Christmas season in Canada, and it is being held in, in Canada out this way, Vancouver and Victoria. You'll be out here for it. Um, selection camp is next week. Have you done any scouting of the teams? I know, obviously, the you know the Americans, the Russians are always going to be there. Uh, how do you sort of handicap this Canada team and the prospects that they're bringing in for the selection camp next week versus what we've seen in the past? Well, they're going to be a little older, Paul. And, you know, I, I say that knowing that Alexis Lafreniere and get used to knowing that name and pronouncing it. I've probably butchered <laughs> him myself, but uh, this guy's draft eligible in 2020. So not this year, uh, but the following uh draft to uh, teams like Ottawa and maybe even Edmonton will be eyeing this kid. Um, just outstanding. He has a chance to make the team. That being said, there's a lot of guys who like are age 19 
um, who are probably going to be on the roster that didn't play for Team Canada last year. So uh, Nick Suzuki and Owen Tippett, um, and Gabe Velarde, um, they, they're going to have older players, but not necessarily experienced players because they weren't able to make the cut last year. So we'll see how that works out for them. Obviously, Carter Hart's not going to be in net. Uh, so we'll see either how Michael DiPietro or whoever else uh, plays for them. Uh, obviously, there's a Prince Albert goalie and a, uh, a elite prospect that's making waves that could end up stealing the number one job. Uh, but we're looking at competition. I think it's the usual suspects, the U.S., the Russians, um, the Swedes and look out for the Czech, uh, the Czech Republic team. This is the same draft year, um, um, that won the Ivan Halenka tournament, um, a few years ago. So these guys have sort of graduated from the Ivan Halenka and now they're world junior age. And, um, Philip Zadina is going to be on this team who, uh, went pretty high in last year's draft. Uh, uh, Philip Scheitel, uh, for the Rangers. Um, there's, there's a lot of, names out there that are really at the top of their game and the Czech Republic team could be one of those sort of dark horse teams that no one was really talking about but could end up giving Canada a run for its money. It's funny you mentioned goaltending obviously a lot of interest out here in DiPietro being a Canucks prospect a lot of interest in the U.S. team as well because Quinn Hughes is playing there and the potential of Jack Hughes that everyone seems to want uh, already has him penciled in as a top pick for next season's draft. But when you mention goaltending, it, it's so funny. I guess because it's just such a, a short, intense tournament, there always seems to be drama around Canada's goaltending. And when they get the great goaltending without one softie a game, yeah, it seems like the gold medal's in the cards, but it always seems to be the goaltending that, that lets this team down if they don't get it done. Yeah, you're right. Uh, they're either the heroes of the tournament or the complete goats of the tournament. And, you know, like... Carter was outstanding for Canada last year. It was a huge reason why that team was able to win. Um, a couple of hiccups during the tournament, I think you're going to get that in these junior-age tournaments, but he was outstanding. And we'll see if Michael DiPietro, who was you know, a surprising cut last year, I think a lot of people uh, just assumed that he was going to be on the team. And um, I think a lot of people are assuming that he's going to be the number one goalie. And that being said, there are other options out there. Um, and... Uh, the, the one guy I, I guess to keep an eye on is Ian Scott. Um, I don't know how many games you've seen from the Prince Albert Raiders, but this guy is going into the tournament 22-1-1 one, and one with that, listen to this, 942 save percentage. Wow. So um, that guy is probably going to be battling it out for D.P. and if he can perform that way uh, at the World Junior Tournament, then he's going to give Canada a really good chance to win. Well, it's going to be fun, and when, you, when you're out here, we'll be able to do one of these podcasts face-to-face and not uh, over the phone. So thanks for your time, Mike. I know you got a plane to catch. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with another Off the Post, Post Media Hockey Podcast. If you like it, subscribe through Apple Podcasts and give us a rating.